if you've been slow in patching, they'll just spot you and they'll hack you and they won't give a damn and then you're in real trouble. Welcome to the Masters of Data podcast, the podcast that brings the human to data. And I'm your host, Ben Newton. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Masters of Data, and I'm um, your host, Ben Newton, and uh, we're we're doing this in a you know a little bit of a different time in the middle of uh, uh, our um, COVID nineteen uh, interesting times, and uh, you know with that, I'm I'm really excited to talk to an old friend now. I think it's his third time on the show. Um, he is uh, the CEO of the cyber crisis management firm, uh, crisisteam.co.uk, and I, I want him to talk a little bit about that in, in a minute. But um, welcome, Bill Mew. It's good to have you on the show. Well, Ben, it's great to be speaking to you. Uh, and yes, this is this is incident number three when we're, we're having a, a, a yet another program. I think the first time we, we did it face-to-face, the second time we did it remotely from our offices. And this time it's a little bit different. We're stuck at home. <laughs> yeah, so I want to talk a little bit about that. I'm uh, I'm stuck in my little building in the, in my backyard where where my my children have to at least think a couple nanoseconds before they come bother me. Um, but we're 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 doing okay. But you you're also holed up in uh in the in the UK. I want you to talk a little bit about your situation because I think it's uh, I think it's awesome. Over here in the UK, there is a massive lockdown. And uh, everyone is, needs to stay at home. Um, it's a little bit different for me because the home where I'm sat right now happens to be a, a castle on an island in a lake in the middle of a, a small valley in the countryside. Uh, we've actually pulled up the drawbridge. So I think in terms of isolation, we're fairly safe. Um, and the dungeons here at the castle are well provisioned. So I think we can hold out for some time. My only real concern is if the broadband goes down. <laughs> so have you have you raised your retinue of knights um, and, and everybody's good to go? <laughs> well, unfortunately, knights and uh, pages and other servants are in short supply in this, this day and age. And I think lockdown anyway. <laughs> well, that's uh, when you when you sent me the picture of that before, I thought that was uh, that's, that, that, that brightened my day. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, and, you know, and one thing, too, since uh, you and I talked um, last, uh, you've, um, you know, started this new firm, Crisis Team. Um, talk a little bit about what 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 um, what you're what you're doing there and what, um, you know, what, what is it uh, kind of what's your new mission here? OK, well, we'll, we'll, come, we'll come on to talk about the threats in a little bit, because obviously the, the cyber arena is one that we both focus on. And th- there are a lot of companies out there providing a lot of uh, preventative measures, be it software solutions, SaaS solutions, whatever. Um, and the, actually, the market is really well provisioned in that respect. Um, there's also a, a, a nascent cybersecurity market to try and, uh, uh, oh, sorry, a cyber insurance market to try and cover you if things go wrong. But the real need is if things do go wrong, well, exactly what do you do? Um, and that's all around incident response. And there are some really talented um, uh, groups of guys that can be flown into an incident and can fix it. And it takes real skills in that particular arena because you need to fix it fast. You need to um, do the forensics to find out exactly what was wrong. And I'm partnering with some really great um, people in that particular respect. But once they've done that, they then need need to hand that on to a, a legal team. And I've got the best lawyers in the world. 
we then need to turn, hand on to a reputation management team, and I'll come on to talk about why that needs to be different for a cyber incident, and then to a social media team to deal with the um, the whole uh, arena around any incident where you have misinformation and hysteria. And the crisis team, we're actually almost the only people out there providing that soup to nuts thing with incident response, uh, cyber law, specialist cyber reputation management, and then the whole social media piece. So um, that's what we do. Uh, that's uh, I, I think that's I think that's fascinating, and it's, um, and it, it makes it makes a lot of sense how how necessary that would be, and kind of you know edging into you know our our, our topic today, um, you know we you know with all the news, and and I think like anybody else, I've I uh, I'm an unwilling news junkie these days, and you you uh, you look at uh, there's there's a lot of talk about the um, the health risk and you know flattening various curves and. All these kind of things, but I think a new topic that particularly in our industry has come up is with the cyber risk. And um, you know, and you 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 talked as we were preparing for this that um, you know, we weren't prepared for what happened in two thousand eight. You know, there's been other uh, crises since then that we haven't really been prepared for. And now looking at what's um, what's going on now, we're not we're not really prepared for for um, some of the things that are happening right now, including uh, not only the health. Um, aspect, but the cyber. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, there's some very good reasons for why we're not prepared. Um, it's the way that we're all incentivized and the way that we operate. If you look at most organizations, nearly all of the executive team and most of the people reporting to them are incentivized purely around revenue and profit. Uh, and these are ROI measures, or, uh, a return on investment. So if you have an entire management team who are focused on ROI, then they'll go out and they'll do exactly what they're incentivized to, and they will maximize revenue and profit. That's exactly what happened in the financial crisis when all the banks went absolutely all guns blazing to try and maximize um, all of their, their revenue in that particular time. What they failed to do was to understand the risk that was coming with that. It's a bit like the fact if you have a, a television that typically the television has three different color um, feeds. If you had only two of those color feeds, which are profit and uh, re a revenue, um, then you can get a picture of what's happening in the business, but you're not getting the whole picture. And something you'll sometimes you'll miss something. If at the same time there is a guy who is looking at the other color feed, the the blue, let's say, um, and he's actually stuck in the basement and you're not listening to him, and that's exactly what happened financial collapse they had risk managers those risk managers were looking at a different picture and a different color feed and they were saying look at the risk here this is terrible and they weren't listened to so if you've got these guys they're sounding an alarm and you're not listening to them you're heading for calamity now the problem and the difference between the that that, that people or that person and the senior team is he is incentivized about ROR, which is return on risk. So basically, the way that a manager in a financial organization works, he's focused on, well, what is our risk appetite? How much do we need to spend? Because you could spend an infinite amount on uh, risk mitigation, and you don't necessarily want to do that. But you need to work out what your risk um, appetite is, what are you going to spend on mitigating this? And certainly in the cyber arena, in the tech arena, the guy responsible for this is the CISO. And that many organizations now have CISOs, not enough of them sit on the board, not enough of them have a voice, 
um, and possibly they're not being listened to at this moment in time. So you've got a very similar scenario here with a board that is overly focused on ROI, and you've got one um, sort of person calling out the fact that, hell, we, we, if you look at the ROI ROR's perspective here, if you look at the risk, there's some really serious risk here. Now, we weren't uh, looking adequately at the risk ahead of the financial collapse, um, and therefore it crept up on us and brought the whole world to its knees. Again, we weren't looking at the health risk ahead of the pandemic, and that meant that we were slow to react. We were, were, were unprepared. And the chances are that there is going to be some sort of cyber pandemic or serious cyber incidents that are going to happen. And again, if we are only looking at revenue and profit, we're going to be unprepared. We're not adequately going to have an ROR focus here. Um, and the risk is that if the CISOs aren't given a voice, they'll face what I call CISolation. They'll just sit there shouting on their own. Um, and possibly we should be listening to them a little bit more. Have you have you uh, have you trademarked that? I think you need to trademark that. <laughs> Cecilation, I like that. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, well, so so let, let's talk a little bit bef- be- before we kind of get into um, some of the other meat of the discussion here. I think a, a lot of us may take for granted why the risk is increased, but let's talk a, l- a little bit about that because, in some sense, people are doing a lot of the same things. That, you know, as opposed to the people who have to be on site at, you know, point of sales and in, in retail and, and, and things like that. But for, for those of who have transitioned to working remotely, why is that increasing the, the, the risk now? I, I think we need to understand that we were facing an increasingly hostile threat landscape anyway. The um, uh, cyber criminals are becoming more and more innovative. They're using AI themselves against us as much as we try and use AI in, in our defense. Um, and actually, the the the, the uh, problem that we have is that they only need to be lucky occasionally, whereas we need to be lucky all the time. Um, and therefore, the, the the cards are stacked against us. Now, if all of a sudden, and we're seeing that right now, if all of a sudden everyone starts doing something they're not used to, like working from home in, in a far greater number than they ever have before, and we weren't prepared for this. We didn't necessarily think ahead about how we were going to train people to work from home. Or have they given fresh briefings around potential phishing attacks, potential vulnerabilities, what they need to be doing at home? Have they updated the home router software? Which uh, wireless networks are they doing using it from home? Are these secure? And looking at have they set up multi-factor um, authentication in order to ensure that they have that level of protection. All of these things would be things that in the normal uh, uh, in environment, hopefully we think about in advance. Again, we're coming back to preparedness here, and I'm going to say this a few times. Um, we simply weren't prepared for this, and we simply weren't prepared for the homeworking we've got at this moment in time. And therefore, a lot of these protections and a lot of these measures simply weren't put in place. Now, we doesn't mean we can't think about some of them now. doesn't mean we can't go down a checklist of things that we need to do. And there are some very clear steps that we could take around uh, uh, possibly a quick refresher training around phishing and how to spot it, because there are a lot of criminals out there using notifications or emails around coronavirus to actually in, entrap you with, with phishing attacks. 
Um, we can also look at the security of our home networks and our home devices. Um, we can also have a separation where we only use home devices for home activities and personal activities, and we only use work devices for the sort of uh, work activity that we need to do. Um, and therefore, that will provide a, a, a separation which is important. And obviously, there is the multi-factor authentication. I think some, if you look at the threat vectors and, the, and the, the threats out there, at this moment in time, something like 80% of the potential attacks or, or the activity going on could be stopped with a level of training around phishing or with multi-factor authentication to help um, uh, mitigate against the very obvious and uh, uh, widespread attacks around things like Office 365 um, access. So, so those are the things that we need to address in order to prepare ourselves for this temporary new way of working. But on a slightly more permanent basis, we need to think on a broader perspective about how prepared are we for other potential crises, other potential shocks, and for the increasing threat landscape that we're seeing in the cyber arena. No, I, I, I think, I think you laid out really well, Bill. And, and, you know, with, with, with that, you know, it's, it's, I think with, with a lot of us, we were very focused in other areas. And now you, you, this is, this is kind of coming to the fore of, um, how people are thinking about, um, you know, how, what, what the risks are and, and particularly with, with, with companies with remote workers. So, uh, you know, when you, you and I were talking about this, um, I, I think you had a, you had a really good way of, of, of how we could, um, talk about this in terms of, uh, you know, basically debunking some myths. So you got, you got three myths that, um, that you, you, you think you need to debunk. So why don't we just go ahead and get into that? Cause I think this is a really, uh, really good way of, uh, of, of thinking about it. So, you know, with the, with the first myth, um, it, the myth would being that we're, we're not really the ones that the hackers are going to get target because we're either too small, we're too unknown. We're not really, we, we're either, we, we've got our, we've got our stuff together. Um, you know, we, we, we're, we're, we're good to go or they don't really care about us. So what, why is that a, why is that a myth that actually doesn't seem that, that crazy? Well, most people believe they're not on the radar of the uh, potential hackers or the cyber criminals here. And to a large extent, that's true, but you need to remember that these hackers are opportunists. And if you don't think about putting some of these measures to make sure that when they're on their being an, uh, their natural opportunity and going for all the easy opportunities out there, that you're not one of those, then yes, you will get caught out. So actually taking measures that actually not going to make you one of the more vulnerable people is always a step to take. But you simply cannot believe that you're never going to be targeted because you're too small, because hackers don't always go for the boys out there. They typically go for the easiest targets. And if you haven't gone to um, the extent of regularly updating your patch, regularly um, reviewing all of your uh, equipment and all of your uh, security protocols, then you're going to be vulnerable. And, and one of the things that they do is that they will send out bots to search the net for known vulnerabilities. And if you've been slow in patching, they'll just spot you and they'll hack you and they won't give a damn and then you're in real trouble. Um, and a really good example of this is the, the WannaCry attack that have taught, brought down the British National Health Service and a whole lot of companies all over the world. It is actually a fact that had all of those companies been patching their software as regularly as they should, 
they would have installed a patch six weeks earlier that would have stopped it. It was only the organizations that had failed to keep up with their patching that were vulnerable. And the, it's a very simple fact that most of these organizations never thought they'd be hit. And they, if they were more concerned, they would have kept up with their patches. It was the very fact that they were somewhat complacent and hadn't done that that meant the one, that they were the ones that taken out. Yeah, it's 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 interesting the way you 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 frame that bill because I mean that's that's part of the difficulty in the security realm is that uh, we uh, we humans are pretty bad at um, risk assessment and we tend to not take things seriously until it's already happened <laughs> and then we're like oh I should take this seriously now I mean it's it's uh it's uh you know, and and literally when you talk about patching I remember having discussions like that you know sixteen seventeen you know near on twenty years ago where people weren't patching back then. So it's, it's, uh, you know, it's the ongoing problem where they, it's just not something people are taking seriously enough. I mean, there, there is a general level of complacency because people genuinely don't believe it's going to happen to them until it does. Yeah. Yeah, no, ab- ab- absolutely. So, so the, the, uh, the, the truth here is that it, it will, it, it's, it's not a question of, of, uh, if it's a question of when, and it doesn't matter what size you are. It matters, uh, you know, how uh, how easy of a target you are. But it, it's, you say it's not a question of if, but it's when. It's not only that. The very fact that something like um, uh, six months is the typical amount of time that it takes for you to detect an intrusion. I think that's the average 200 days. Um, it means it's not a question of if or when. It may well already have happened. <laughs> right. Right. Well, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty sobering. So, um, <laughs> so, so, so myth, myth one, um, it's, 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 it's very much debunked. Um, we're, we're, we're all at risk and we have to take this seriously. So, you, you know, now one thing that I, I thought was really interesting, Bill, when you reached out to me and, and, and the kind of in the arena that you're, you're playing now with, uh, around insurance and, you know, and I, I can, I can say that's, that's a place where I've definitely, um, I've got a lot to learn about cyber insurance and what that means in this case. So, so one of the, one of the myths, um, that, that, uh, you were, you were talking about was that we've got cyber insurance, so we're covered. So, you know, yeah, I mean, talk a little bit, what, what, how does that actually work and, um, why doesn't that cover us? Okay. So one of the issues here is that the cyber insurance market simply isn't as mature or as advanced as, as many of the other insurance markets. So if you have um, a, an 18-year-old and he wants to insure a Ferrari, I think there's a fairly accurate um, risk assessment that tells you that there's going to be a fairly high premium uh, involved here. Um, when it comes to cyber insurance, because you know so little about an organization, what its um, uh, technology landscape is, what its internal uh, uh, security set is, it's very difficult to set to, to do a risk assessment. Unfortunately, there, once you do the risk assessment, you, you then have to try and price the risk accurately. And typically, the way that has been done in, let's say, auto insurance has been by having a very large book of business. So a lot of experience of a lot of people with a lot of different cars, and you can actually learn over time what the uh, uh, claim history is in order to really refine your approach. 
in the cyber arena, even Warren Buffett, who's one of the biggest figures in insurance, has admitted that they simply don't know how to approach uh, the the pricing of cyber risk. Um, it, it is just too much of an unknown quantity. Now, one of the approaches that they do take is there is a, a new type of model of risk assessment. And certainly in the, in the credit risk arena, we have companies like Equifax, which will give each of us individuals a credit score. In the cybersecurity arena, we have cybersecurity risk rating firms. Now, some of these companies use uh, sort of web crawlers, uh, and they will go out and they search the web for externally facing endpoints for your organization, and they will assess them on the basis of known vulnerabilities. So if, if you haven't patched recently, they'll be able to tell and they'll give you a low scoring. They'll give you a very different scoring the next day if you've just run a whole lot of patches. So suddenly you'll get a really good scoring. But nothing internally really will have changed a great deal. And this, this, this sort of approach is, it, it's uh, um, compared to assessing the fire safety of a building by using a photograph taken from the opposite side of the street. You can, you can see, you can see roughly how big it is and whether it's been painted or maintained recently. But you don't know anything about how flammable the contents are. You don't know whether it's got a sprinkler system or, or, or fire safety devices. I mean, it's just a really, really crude way of measuring it. And, but unfortunately, because risk assessment needs to be done in a relatively economic ma manner without uh, pricing it out of, uh, of anyone's reach, that's probably the best approach we've got right now. Um, so one of the problems we've had is they don't know how to price the risk. They don't know how to assess the risk. And also, many of these companies, they boast that they can offer you um, a, a quotation on uh, cyber insurance in under an hour. I mean, if, if something as complex as that, a quotation in under an hour, you've got to worry. Now, part of the reason that they can afford to do this is the way that the contracts are written. Now, um, I, I can certainly provide some uh, uh, details on all of the exclusions that you could in include in the show notes. But one of the things that I, I would stress on people is you've got to have a look at those policies because in most policies, there are exclusion after exclusion after exclusion that ensure that in almost any instance, the company involved that is insuring you has a get out. And we're already seeing this. Um, take, take for example, a lot of the um, claims around the not NotPetya attack, um, because this came from Eastern Europe and potentially from uh, 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 places like um, uh, North Korea, it was seen as a hostile foreign entity, and therefore it was excluded under the um, war provision. Uh, you don't have to have a declared, it just needs to be a hostile foreign uh, entity for them to say, nope, we won't pay for that. Uh, and there are other organizations where they may uh, not have said they won't pay for it for, uh, at all, but they certainly won't pay for everything. Uh, and th there was another one, Norsk Hydro, the Norwegian power company that had uh, a big ransomware attack and the damage was of the order of 70 plus million euros. And they were had cyber insurance and it paid out a whole 3.6 million. So, I mean, that was just a fraction of the, of the cost they faced. So yeah. you got to shrug your shoulders and say, well, what's the point? Yeah. Well, you know, now, now as you describe this, I'm, uh, 
I'm starting to see um, the reasoning why you have good lawyers uh, with your with with uh, with crisis team because it makes um it, it makes sense. I, I guess one of the things you 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 need to work with with clients on is actually really understanding these uh, well, cyber insurance contracts. There, right? there are some specialist brokers out there, and if you don't understand the policies and the market well enough. Work with some of these specialist brokers to get you the best policy because it's not impossible. Um, you just don't want to blunder into it and find that you've been given a quote in under an hour and that looks great and we'll go with that and then think that you're covered. And also, you also need to look through that insurance policy to say, what would they pay for? Would they just pay for the initial fix? Would they pay for uh, uh, some of the uh, damage? Would they pay for the support around the reputation management, some of the other stuff that you need. And if they are going to do that, are they going to provide you with the best team to support you? Because it is a real, uh, it's a bit like having a, an open heart uh, operation here. You want the best surgeon because you want the best uh, chances of survival. And if your um, uh, policy only covers a kind of fairly amateur chap who's, um, who, who they've specified because he's not too expensive, then actually that's probably not going to be the surgeon that you want. Yeah. 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 It makes sense. Well, you know, when you, and when you, uh, you started off the whole thing, um, uh, talking about the 18 year old, um, uh, getting insurance for Ferrari. I mean, I think that, uh, it, it's really interesting because, you know, we, we, we have that kind of insurance in our lives. We understand that we understand health insurance, but seeing how different it is for cyber insurance, it even makes me think back to, uh, when uh when i was in my 20s and when uh i had a uh i had a fast car i had a mustang had a fender bender and my uh insurance company kicked me off and then uh i had to call with them and i'm like why did you guys like get rid of me and there and uh and basically the answer was after i kept pushing them is well the average person that owns your car is an irresponsible idiot i'm like oh Okay, I get it now. <laughs> so, well, uh, apparently, I got classified that way. Not category at all, obviously. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a lot. It's a lot. Uh, it's a lot easier for these companies to do that when you've got you know this long history of of understanding of how uh, automobile accidents work. So. Um, and that, and I, w- I would say that one piece there, cyber insurance is not something that I had uh, really had a lot of familiarity with. And I think it really helps the way you're explaining it. So, you know, kind of with the, the, the third myth here, you know, again, you, you started off talking about what you're doing now with crisis team. And, uh, and, and I, I think it's, it's, it's really interesting, probably in, in crisis management overall, that, um, a lot of companies and organizations, Say we've got a plan, you know, we got it in a Google Doc or Word Doc somewhere, and we have a team. Maybe it's a few people internally designated. They can deal with this. We're good to go. Uh, so, so what's 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 wrong with that? Uh, well, I, I suspect there are a few companies out there at this very moment in time dusting off their crisis management plan because they hadn't expected. Um, and you've got to wonder how well prepared they were for the pandemic and how good their crisis preparedness was. And the argument here is that crisis preparedness increasingly be going to become a competitive differentiator and you need to be good at it. And it may be a health pandemic. It may be an environmental uh, uh, event like a tsunami or a, a, a tornado or a hurricane or whatever. It may be a cyber attack. 
and you need to to actually dust off those policies and now's a, a not a good time for that when will it be um, and you need to uh, consider those risks and how you're going to respond now what we see typically in the term, in a cyber incident is that the internal team they realize something's gone wrong fairly quickly and they're not always the first people to respond so they could be on the back foot here um, but they realize they've got to do something and typically they'll try a DIY fix. Now, they're not going to be specialists at this sort of thing and typically they very quickly find that they're out of their depth. And strangely enough, the peak time for people to call, uh, pick up the phone to call in specialist incident response teams is actually on a Friday afternoon when the internal team have been trying to do their DIY fix for most of the week and they admit to their senior management we can't do it. We're out of our depth. It's Friday afternoon. What do we do? Call, call in the, the rescue team. This is, this is when we need to call in the cavalry. Now, typically that organization would have been better off if they called those people in straight away to fix the, the thing properly, to limit the, any data loss, to limit any damage and to limit any exposure. But you know, human nature is such that we're all going to quite often typically going to try that ourselves. Um, and actually, team there at the cold phase, the team there facing the incident, need to understand the, the whole risk dimension and how much damage can be done by not calling in the experts early enough, not getting it fixed quickly enough. We then look at, well, what are the steps that we need to take to fix this kind of thing? Well, we started to talk about the first one, and, and that's the incident response thing where that you get the best these, these are the, these are the surgeons. These are the guys you want the best surgery surgeon possible operating on you because you want to survive the operation and you want to come out of it in as good shape as possible. You get these guys in, they do the fix. They also do the forensics. So they will have a look at, well, what was the problem? What was the full scope? What, where, what are, what are we looking at here? Once they understand that, they can stand, hand that forensics on to team number two. And team number two is your cyber law team. Now, your cyber law team will look at the friends and they'll come up with a legally defensible narrative. It's really, really important that you get the very best legal advice because you're going to be facing the regulator. You're going to be facing probably some really hostile litigation and you need to be absolutely sure that you've been given the best legal advice to put together that legally defensible narrative. Otherwise, you know, you're facing some massive damages here and possibly under the new red regimes like GDPR, some very big fines. Once you've got the legally defensible narrative, that needs to be handed on to team three, which is the reputation management team. Now, the reputation management team typically need to come in and they need to sort out uh, wh whatever's going on in order to try and make things uh, um, look as good for your brand as possible and they, they, these are your brand defense experts but the problem is that if you look at Equifax if you look at Marriott if you look at all of these different organizations they relied on their internal PR team and their internal PR team and the agency supporting them these weren't cyber specialists and they didn't understand the difference between a cyber incident and potentially a, a normal incident so let me explain in terms that you, everyone will understand. If you have a normal incident, let's say you've got a bank. Uh, the bank it has to open its doors to let customers come in and withdraw money. And occasionally, some people are going to turn up with guns 
and they're going to want to withdraw more money than they're allowed. When that happens, everybody understands that the guys with the guns, they're the villains. And the victims are the bank and their customers. It's a very simple scenario. The public, press, everyone will understand that without question. When an incident like this happens, you look at all the standard crisis management textbooks, the PR textbooks, whatever. They'll say that the first step you always take in an incident is containment. You just don't necessarily want anyone to know that something's happened. And if you can contain it, that's great. Obviously, if there are people wandering around with guns in your um, uh, uh, bank branches, then it's unable to contain that. There's likely to be, to be people talking about it or maybe a story in the press. So you then make move on to the next phase, which is all around showing empathy. So you will wheel out a senior executive as your spokesperson to show that you're taking it seriously. You will also get him to talk about how much you care for the customers, how much you're worried for them. You'll make sure they're compensated. You'll make sure that they're all looked after. And by showing empathy, you'll gain sympathy. And actually, this works, and it works time and time again. And it's the standard textbook approach to these type of incidents. And in most incidents, it will work well. In a cyber incident, it won't. And the reason for this is, imagine the same bank is hacked. Now, these hackers, and we've talked about the long delay sometimes of up to 200 days between something happening and it being detected. These hackers, you won't know who they are. You won't be able to reach them because they could be in North Korea or wherever. And they may be long, may have happened sometime earlier. And you could well be on the back foot. Um, and therefore, the problem that you have is that no one's going to really talk about the hackers at all. When you look at a story in the press about a, a, an organization being hacked, the villains in every single story is the organization itself. So in this instance, the bank will get the blame. And this is unusual. All crimes, you'll blame the criminal. But this is almost the only crime where it's actually the victim, because the bank has been a victim here. It's the victim that gets the blame. Um, and when you start to implement a, a, a brand defense strategy. If you're not a, a specialist who understands the, the, the intricacies here, the technology, the behavioral patterns, and actually how this scenario is going to work, you're going to take exactly the wrong approach. You're going to put your executives in forward to talk in empathetic terms to gain sympathy. And they're just going to put in the firing line and they're going to be shot to pieces. So it, it's very difficult there. Going beyond that, you then uh, need to, to come in with a, a, a final team, and they're the social media team, because you actually have, at that point in time, your, your credibility will be at its last step, and you'll be, have no credibility to counter the hysteria and the misinformation that's out there. That's when you need independent, trusted voices. And, and I've been out there. I'm, I'm one of the most high-profile spokespeople on privacy and this type of things, and I've represented a lot of companies talking in the media, um, doing that sort of thing. And you need that whole soup to nuts approach. You need the technical team to do a fix. You need the legal team who are specialists to go in and do the, the, the cyber law advice around the legally defensible narrative. You need the reputation management again, again, cyber experts who understand that this works very differently. And then you need that social media support group who are going to actually get rid of that hysteria and the misinformation that could continue for months afterwards and could do even more damage than the initial technical problem itself. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it sounds like you've, you've uh, 
you've you've done this a few times. <laughs> well, so, I, I've got a few. Stars, you laid out really and, well. And, and, yeah. <laughs> but look, it's all about preparedness. We, we talked at the start here about we weren't prepared for the financial crisis. We weren't prepared for the health pandemic. Typically, companies aren't prepared for a cyber attack, and it's going to happen. And now it's time to think this through. Dust off your crisis management. Have a look at your cyber insurance. Look at all those clauses, and we'll, we'll include details of some of them in the call notes. And also, think about what is your incident response revision. Do you have experts on speed dial who are going to come in and save your bacon when this thing goes wrong? I think that's um that's a that's a really good way to to uh wrap up there Bill because I think um you know what what you're saying is 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 really relevant with what's going on now and I think uh uh you you have a really good way of laying it out because I you know it's it's as you're describing it I'm literally imagining in my minds in my mind in my mind uh of you know things that have happened to me I like at this point how many times my information has gotten stolen including with Marriott um, you know, in, in, in other places and seeing how they struggle with this, even like major brands, uh, really struggle with this in the beginning. So I, I think what you're, what you're saying is highly relevant. And, uh, and, and I, I wish you all the luck in getting that message out. Well, we all need to be prepared. So in the meantime, please, everyone stay safe, stay well. Um, use some of this time at home to think through these things. Uh, because if, uh, as we come out of this pandemic, we're better prepared for whatever comes next, then hopefully we'll all be in a better place. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Bill, for spending the time, you know, coming to us from your, your, uh, you know, moat surrounded castle with a, with a drawbridge. (laughs) You stay safe in there. And uh, thanks for your time today. This was a lot of fun. Hey, good to speak to you again. And thanks to everybody for listening. Um, uh, All the best guys. And uh, thanks everybody listening to another episode of Masters of Data. And we'll see you next time. Masters of Data is brought to you by Sumo Logic. Sumo Logic is a cloud-native machine data analytics platform delivering real-time continuous intelligence as a service to build, run, and secure modern applications. Sumo Logic empowers the people who power modern business. For more information, go to sumologic.com. For more on Masters of Data, go to mastersofdata.com and subscribe. And spread the word by rating us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app.